0: Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the centre of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, "'Praise God for the Son of David!' Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
1: Thank you, Sue. Well, good morning. My name's Lindsay. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'd love to just add my welcome to you this morning on this Palm Sunday, and it's really nice, actually, for me to be back. We were away last weekend um, in Cornwall just for a few days, having a bit of an Easter break, a pre-Easter break, Um, but it's really nice to be back um, with you all. So we're thinking about the Palm Sunday story this morning, and um, I guess for many of us it's a familiar story, but you know, God can always speak to us in a new way through stories that are familiar to us, and I hope that he will this morning. Jesus and his disciples are on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and the story opens as they're at a place called Bethphage, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. This was a place that was just near to Bethany, which was where Jesus was to spend his final week. And apparently, the road that they were on, this road, passed through the Mount of Olives and down through the Kidron Valley and on into Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is apparently 2,660 feet above sea level. And lies just to the east of Jerusalem. So you can just picture it. There's Jerusalem and just to the east is the Mount of Olives. Um, And it's a sort of flattened, rounded ridge with four identifiable summits. Um, And then the traditional site of the Garden of Gethsemane lies just near to the foot of the Mount of Olives on the western slope, just above the Kidron Valley. So the road would have gone through the Mount of Olives, down near the garden, and then down through the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I love to picture this. I think it just sounds so beautiful. And I've always loved to kind of imagine where these events took place as I've read these stories since I was actually a very little girl. It just sounds wonderful, you know, and and such lovely names, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives and um, the Sea of Galilee and the Town of Nazareth. It just sounds beautiful. I asked in the last service, actually, has anyone been there and seen these places? Hands up if you've been there. Hands up, right up, because I'd love to see... Okay, a few of you have, just like in the last service. I would love to go and see, see it all, but for now I can't, just like most of us. Um, and we have to put up with just imagining it, or maybe Googling pictures and seeing an artist's representation. But anyway, here they are at Bethphage, and um, we're at verse 1. And um, we're told that Jesus sent two of his disciples on ahead of him to find a donkey and its cult. And he instructed them to say, if anyone asks you, who, who needs these? Just say, the Lord has need of them. I wonder how the disciples felt about being sent off to find a donkey. I think some people might not have enjoyed that role very much. I don't know that I would have done. I probably would have been at the back of the queue for that job. Um, But I guess they were used to Jesus by now and um, they knew that he sometimes asked them to do random things. Um, He sent them off before, didn't he, to go and um, get food when he wanted to feed the 5,000 people. Um, And he sent them off giving them all authority over evil spirits to, to preach the kingdom. But without any food or money, that must have felt a bit odd too. Um, But each time God provided, didn't he? Each time God came up with what they needed. Um, So why not this time? And I guess they probably were used to it by now. So they thought, okay, Jesus, we'll go and get the donkey. And I wonder whether any of them would have remembered the scripture that prophesied in in the book of Zechariah, that prophesied that the messianic king would come riding on a donkey. I wonder if the disciples would have made that link when Jesus said, go and get the donkey, or whether they were just so kind of in the middle of it all that they didn't even think about the scriptures. I don't know. I just kind of muse about these things. And it's interesting as well that the word that Jesus uses for the Lord needs them, tell them the Lord needs them, is a word that can mean either earthly master or a godly kind of deity type master. And I wonder if the disciples knew that. I wonder, you know, if if they thought, oh, I wonder if he's revealing a bit more of himself here by describing himself as a sort of ambiguous word. You know, the Lord, the God of heaven, but also a Lord, an earthly master. I wonder what they thought, and I wonder what they thought afterwards when they would have looked back and reflected. And, you know, we do that, don't we, sometimes? We look back and we think, oh, that happened then, and that happened then. Oh, I didn't think of that at the time, but now I'm realizing. must have been quite a thing for them as they thought back after the crucifixion and the resurrection over those events of, of that coming week. Anyway... They Off they went. They got the donkey and the colt, um, and they begin to make their entry into Jerusalem. And this is what it says. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Wonderful so exciting. And there will have been lots of excitement around Jesus's arrival for different reasons. It was Passover and excitement around the Messiah always ran high at that time. You know, there was hope for the appearance of a Messiah and um, people were excited about that around the time of Passover. Also, the recent raising of Lazarus had stimulated new interest in Jesus and people were curious to see him, to to know more about him. Like any crowd, it was probably a bit of a mixed bag. Imagine any crowd, and and that's what you get, isn't it? Many will have been Jesus' disciples. Um, his close 12, but not just his close 12, a larger group probably who had followed him around in his ministry. There will have been um, some of those women who loved to follow him, Mary and Martha, and also Lazarus and others. Um, Some will have been in the crowd hoping that Jesus would liberate Jerusalem and the people of Israel from Roman oppression, that's what some of them will have been there for. Others probably just there, caught up in the excitement and thinking, oh, what's going on here? This is fun. I think I'm going to shout and cheer as well. And, um, and then others may have been Pharisees who were there, kind of opposed to Jesus' claim to authority, and so wanting to just keep a bit of a watch on him and see what he was doing. Mostly, though, people were excited, and everyone, I would say everyone, was hoping that Jesus would be who they wanted him to be, who they wanted him to be. Maybe we know people like that ourselves, who want Jesus to be who they want him to be, to fit him into a kind of mold that suits their need. The crowd welcomed him as the anticipated king that they thought they needed, triumphant And he was triumphant, wasn't he? But probably not in the way the people wanted or imagined. His triumph would be a different kind of triumph through death on the cross. Way more significant in terms of its achievement though than anyone could have imagined. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus offers so much more than what people think they need. And then on they went into Jerusalem, and um, the story finishes like this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I just want to highlight three little things that I've noticed about this story. And the first is this the willingness of the disciples to be sent. Their response to him saying, go, you know, I'm sending you to go and get this, this donkey seems to have been just immediate. They didn't seem to question it, did they? They just did what he asked. And because of that, they played their part in fulfilling what the prophets had foretold, actually, fulfilling God's purposes, his rescue mission. They played that little part in it at that moment in his rescue mission for the world. They were ordinary men, these guys. They weren't special in any way. They were really not special. They were very random. They simply did as Jesus said. And as a result, they enabled him to carry out God's plan. It's interesting, there were lots of people like that, weren't there, in the Bible? Not just the disciples, there were others who did similarly There was Abraham. He obeyed God when God sent him out from his homeland, even though he didn't know where he was going. And he became, as God had promised, the father of many descendants of God's people, the Israelites. Just obeyed God, Abraham did. Moses, he obeyed God, didn't he? He was called to lead God's people out of slavery towards the promised land. He He wasn't that keen, actually, Moses, was he? But he did it. He did it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she obeyed God when she discovered that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She was willing. She said, I'm willing. Whatever, whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I'll do it. And she went ahead and she gave birth to Jesus. What about Joseph, Mary's fiancé? When he heard initially that Mary was pregnant, he was going to divorce her, wasn't he, quietly so as not to embarrass anyone. But then he had a dream and an angel spoke to him and so he obeyed, and he went ahead, and he became Jesus's earthly parent. All of these people obeyed God, and as a result, they opened the way for God's plans for the world to be fulfilled. And not just people in the Bible. Others in history have done the same, haven't they? Obeyed God and done great things. Jackie Pullinger, she went off to work among the, in Hong Kong among the drug addicts. Just got on a boat and went, heard God send her. Martin Luther King, he fought for the equal rights for blacks and whites. He thought, no, I, don't, I can't bear this any longer. I'm going to do something about it. And he felt God call him, and, and off he went. Nelson Mandela, sensed the Lord, saying he needed to work to abolish apartheid. William Wilberforce, similarly, campaigned for the abolition of the British slave trade. All these people heard God and thought, right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do what God is calling me to. What might we do if we're willing to go when Jesus sends us? If we're willing to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis, what might we do? Sometimes it might be something really big, like that list of people, and that can be a bit frightening because you might just think, oh, I could never do that you might you might do something really significant if the Lord sends you he'll equip you what might you do might be that he wants you to send you in a new direction for your job or maybe a new direction in a relationship or in your personal life if he's sending you you need to respond it might be something really really small All the disciples had to do was fetch a donkey. That was quite small, wasn't it, for them anyway. It wouldn't have been small for me, but it was small for them. It could be something quite small. I had a dream the other day, and I want to tell you about it. So I'm just going to quickly look on my phone. Because I had a dream about a friend of mine. And um, it was very vivid. And when I woke up... I couldn't get this dream out of my mind and I just thought I I could just get on with my day but I felt prompted actually just to text her and tell her about this dream. It felt a bit random but I thought I'm going to do that anyway so I text her the dream. And she doesn't normally reply very quickly, this friend. She's not great at replying to texts but this time she came straight back and this is what she said. That's so interesting. I prayed last night for a dream from the Lord to encourage me. You had it for me, and strangely, it's really spoken to me. Thank you. I could have ignored that dream. I don't know what it meant. I don't know what it's going to lead to. I'm sure I'll find out if it's significant. But that was just a little prompting that I acted on, and it blessed her. It encouraged her. Who knows what difference we might make if we're willing to be sent to follow these promptings that God gives. Who knows? The second thing I notice about this story is the response of the crowd to Jesus. Now, we've already touched on this. Um, the crowd was made up of a mix of people with a mix of motives for being there. And honestly, I think some people probably were just caught up in it all and going along with the crowd, as we kind of sometimes say, don't we? The other week, I went to be part of the Michael McIntyre chat show at the BBC. Um, It was really fun. I find Michael McIntyre very fun. I know that not everybody does, but I do. And um, so I was really pleased. My friend just... Emailed me and said, you fancy coming? I've got tickets. So off we went. Um, and um it was especially fun when I found out who the lineup of guests were, because they were people who I kind of like to follow at a distance or people watch. I don't know if you do that, but I have people that I like to kind of look at and read about. Um and so who do you think it was? It was Bear Girls. I love Bear Girls, lovely Christian guy. Don't know if you know him. If you don't, then ask someone later. Um, it was Gary Barlow, who I also like to kind of watch at a distance, um, and it was Nigella Lawson. Imagine three celebrities that I kind of take a little bit of an interest in. Uh, I have several actually, but that was three of them. And um, the whole process was so interesting. <laughs> Because before the show, we had people coming, uh, coming to the front and telling us how we must be. And they were telling us, in fact, Michael, he was also telling us how we must be. My, I call him Michael now because um, I've helped him do his show so we can be on first name terms. And um, he and the others all came, came up to the front and they were telling us when we must cheer and when we must Dumb it down. They said, when this happens, we want you all to really cheer and then 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 quieten it down when someone starts to speak. So, and it was funny, it felt a bit artificial actually. But when we watched it back on TV, which of course we did a few days later, it actually looked fine. It just looked very real and like everybody was really cheering and really into it, even though we weren't all the time really into it. But we did kind of get into it. There were some people who were there though in that crowd. Who were different. They were there for a reason. They were avid fans of some of the celebrities. Well, I say some, mainly Gary Barlow. And um, those people, there were two women in particular, they had missed not one of his concerts. They followed him around, they knew everything about him, and um, they were there because they intended to be there. It was deliberate, it was intentional. They didn't want to miss out. They wanted to follow him wherever he was. That's how they were. And as I thought of that evening, and I thought uh, um, of the crowd on Palm Sunday, and I imagined myself there in the crowd, and I began to ask myself, what type of crowd person would I have been if I'd been there on that Palm Sunday? And I thought, oh my goodness, I hope I wouldn't be one of those who cheered on Palm Sunday and then shouted crucify the following Friday. I really hope that I wouldn't be. I hope I'd be in that crowd because I was intentionally there, a true follower of Jesus, there because my desire is to follow him and worship him with all of my heart and because I want to be near him and I want to welcome him into any place where I am at any given time. I hope that that's the kind of crowd person that I would have been on that Palm Sunday. I've just read this little book by Richard Foster. You may have um, read some of Richard Foster's things. He's read. He's he wrote *Celebration of Discipline*, which is a real wonderful, age-old book that um, I loved many years ago. This one's called *Sanctuary of the Soul*, and it's just a little kind of inspiration, really, to encourage us in the reader into a journey, onto a journey into meditative prayer—the kind of prayer where you you don't just quickly pray an arrow prayer and off you go. But you, you sit down and you spend time and you maybe take a scripture and you just meditate on it for a while and then you give you welcome God's presence and you give him time to just really speak to you. And, and it's amazing how when you do really do that, God says things that you would have never heard if you didn't give him that time to do it. And it's just a very, very quick read. And um, just if you, you know, I found by following what he was suggesting, you just find a new intimacy with God. You connect with him in a very different way when you take that time to intentionally sit um, and focus on him. And I loved it. So I commend that to you. But at the back, he has um, people have either written or he's made up some questions that people ask about this meditative prayer. And one of the questions that he answers is this. How does my personal experience of this kind of prayer relate to the gathered experience of worship? Or does it? And he says this, Richard Foster says this, It does indeed. If only a few individuals have developed an intimate, ongoing, conversational relationship with God, it will affect the entire atmosphere of the gathered community. It's the very substance of your life that will have an effect and draw others like a magnet towards Christ. I love that. And you know, we can impact the crowd wherever we are. We can impact the crowd, we can change the crowd. By our presence, we can make a difference. We, who deeply love the Lord, can affect the crowd in such a way that it changes in character, a little bit like the salt and light metaphor that Jesus used. We can change things. And I want to say today, let's be crowd changers. Let's go deep with Jesus. We've got every opportunity to do that this week, haven't we, with the 24-7 prayer, that lovely room where you can go and just spend time and hear him. Let's go deep with him so that we can affect the atmosphere of the crowd the crowd wherever that crowd is it might be a crowd here in church it might be a crowd out in the community it might be at work or wherever your life takes you let's be changers of the crowd let's change the atmosphere and then the third thing that i notice and i finish with this is the question that the crowd ask who is this who is this When Jesus entered Jerusalem, we're told that the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? It's not the first time, is it, that we've read of that question in the scriptures? I remember um, in the story of the calming of the storm, when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, and the disciples looked at each other and said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? You know, when people find out that we are people of faith, that we're Christians, that we're followers of Jesus, they will want to ask that. They'll want to know who is this Jesus and what he means to us. The other day, I found myself in conversation with someone, and um, it came up that, uh, as we were talking, that I was involved in pastoring a church with my husband. And... um, she looked quite surprised, and she said, Oh, so does that mean he's a vicar? I said, Yes, it does, actually. Yes, yes, it does. She said, Oh, gosh. So does that mean, then, that you're, that you're a vicar's wife? <laughs> yes, I said. "Yes, I, Yes, I suppose it does, yes. She said, But you don't look like a vicar's wife. And I kicked myself afterwards, because I've had that said to me so many times. And each time, I really wish I'd said, what does the vicar's wife look like? Because then maybe I could do something to help myself fit the role better. (laughs) But anyway, I missed my chance. Maybe I can ask her, because I will be seeing her again. And the point is that at that moment when I began to reveal a little bit about myself, the conversation went to a completely different level. She started talking about her faith. As a Catholic, it was a lapsed faith, and she'd had a really difficult time actually this last couple of years. And I could quite understand why she was having a bit of a struggle with, with faith things. But we were able to talk a little bit about that. And as she shared, I shared a little bit about my story. And. I didn't say everything all in one sitting because I know that I'll see her again and I'll make sure that the conversation about faith comes up at some point because I want to share more with her and I want to tell her about Jesus and what he means to me. Who is this? Who is Jesus? What would you say? What will you say when somebody asks you that question? I might start by asking them who they think Jesus is. What do they think? I might want to ask them, what have you heard other people say about Jesus and and which bits do you agree with and which bits do you maybe struggle with a bit more? Because I think if we've engaged people and we've been ready to listen to them, they're much more ready then. To listen to what we have to say. And then I'd probably want to say something like who Jesus is. I'd want to say, well, he's central to my faith as a Christian. I believe the Bible when it says that he came to earth as a man, but as God as well, and that he showed us what God is like, and then that he, he had to die on a cross to save us from our sin, to pay the price for our sin. But because of that, he's opened up the way now so that we can have free access to the Father, and I can enjoy a really wonderful, intimate relationship with God, my Father. And not just that, but I can hope for eternal life as well. And then I might say, does that mean anything to you? Have you ever heard that before? What do you think of it? And try and have a bit more of a conversation and hear what they thought about it. But I'd want to make sure that at some point in the conversation, I could get in a little bit of personal stuff about who Jesus is to me. I'd want, them, I'd want to be able to say, you know, he's my closest friend. He's with me all the time. He helps me. He comforts me. He listens to me. And I can honestly say, I can't imagine life without him. I'd want to be able to say all of that. And it's not the perfect answer. We don't have perfect answers, do we? We just are who we are, and we just share from where we are, where we come from, and that's what I would do. Your answer will be different, but I really hope that you'd have one. And if you haven't got one, I urge you to think about it, to think, what will I say, what would I say when someone asks me who Jesus is? I'm going to end with that. Just a few thoughts, really, about Palm Sunday and what I've noticed about that story. But I'd love us to pray. So let's stand.